out of Luke 19 uh, with the title Jesus and Zacchaeus. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. So, to be lost is to be misunderstood, to be given up on, to be silenced, to be unworthy of attention or respect or even time. To be lost is to receive negative social press, to be ashamed or blamed, to be excluded, to be accused, to be ignored, to be abandoned. To be lost is to be re- with beyond reconciliation, to be treated poorly without others even realizing it, to be always at a disadvantage of controlling your own narrative. To be lost, to be the one to whom Jesus said he is seeking out, is to be different from the group you belong to in ways that don't give you credibility. To be lost is to be someone like Zacchaeus. Now, I come to this text, and I think of Zacchaeus sort of with the mind of a child, because even though this story is only in the Gospel of Luke, it is very well known. And I think it's well known for one reason. Do you know that reason? (laughs) That's right. I think of Zacchaeus like the old man in church who has like a hearing aid and he's never quite picking up on what's going on. It's like, yeah, Zacchaeus' height was different, but are we really going to like blame him for that, you know? Uh, You know, can you really fault someone for something like that? The Zacchaeus of my childhood is someone who is somewhat endearing. Uh, He was that wee little man whose fault was that he was small. 
Uh, and he was sort of cute because he climbed this tree in order to see Jesus, and Jesus accepted him. So really, you know, what can you say? But the historical Zacchaeus must have been a real piece of work. So if we peel back the childhood Zacchaeus and look a little bit into the context, man, this Zacchaeus guy. See, Rome had invaded and taken over the land. And the people of God were subject to this foreign power. And there were a few people in Israel who betrayed Israel by becoming servants of Rome. And those people were called tax collectors. <laughs> the modern situation would be something like uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Imagine being Ukrainian and someone you know, someone who is also Ukrainian, uh, decided to join in with Russia, take Russia's side, and then start collecting taxes for Russia from his or her fellow Ukrainians. Now you're starting to get the picture of what kind of low life this Zacchaeus guy was. He was a tax collector for Rome. Uh, now we've already heard about tax collectors because Caleb preached last week about the tax collector and the Pharisee out of an earlier passage in Luke. The tax collector who at the temple beat his breast and begged God for mercy who is standing across from this Pharisee who thanked God that he was not like this tax collector. And now we see in this text why that story would have been a shocking one. The ultimate betrayal is someone like a tax collector. These traitor tax collectors were people that people hated. They took the wrong side. They skimmed money off the top that, of the taxes that they collected. They extorted from their own families, their own nation, for the benefit of their enemies and their own. They sided with Rome. The very power that the people were hoping that Jesus would come, had come, to overthrow. In our passage today, Luke is telling Jesus' story about the things that happen to Jesus, with Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem. On the way to the place where the people hope that Jesus is going to overthrow the powers of Rome, Luke is telling this story on the way. And in a very real sense, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is sort of hinges on this unpromised expectation that Jesus has come to overthrow Rome. But this story, like the one about the tax collector last week, is a little bit like foreshadowing, letting us know in advance that things aren't quite what they seem, that maybe that's not what Jesus has come to do that maybe Jesus' fight isn't against Rome. And we know this because he's including tax collectors. After this parable that Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, there's one other noteworthy story before this passage with this tax collector. And it's the passage that you're probably familiar with about the rich ruler. In Luke, he's just the rich ruler. 
who seeks righteousness and who comes to question Jesus. And the passage ends, what's noteworthy is that the passage ends with uh, Jesus challenging him to sell everything he has to give it to the poor and to come follow him. And then uh, the text says with implied understanding that this rich ruler went away sad because he was wealthy. Jesus then looks at the rich ruler and says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' disciples are like, what? You know, because culture is like wealth. Wealth actually is indicative of something deeper, right? That those people are doing something right. And so Jesus' disciples, shocked and amazed that Jesus would say that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, are like, who then, Jesus, who can be saved? And Jesus answers, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. Zacchaeus is also a rich ruler. Zacchaeus was both of these previous stories rolled into the one. It says he was a chief tax collector. It is surmised by theologians that what a chief tax collector is, because this is mentioned nowhere else, is that he was a tax collector who had many tax collectors working under him. He was like the head honcho, the, the godfather, the, the Elon Musk of the tax collectors. This was like the main man, tax collector, uh, of the whole thing. And he not only betrayed his country and his people, but he was like the best at, at betraying his country and his people. He was like in charge of all the other people who betrayed his country and his people. And Luke is trying to tell us something in this story, in this narrative. This whole story takes place at the doorstep to Jerusalem. It's the very last stop on the way. And it's like Luke is like, okay, if you missed it with the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple, and if you missed it with the rich young ruler, like, here it is. Like, here is the most obvious exaggeration. Here is Zacchaeus, who embodies both. And, and Zacchaeus' story is like this last-ditch effort of the gospel writer to foreshadow that what it is Jesus is actually doing when Jesus is going to Jerusalem. It's like he's saying, if you don't get it here, you're not going to get it. So let me exaggerate it as much as I can. Jesus is walking through Jericho, visiting on the way to Jerusalem, and looks up into a tree and says to... Um, Elon Musk meets Putin, uh, come down, I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus is not a short but innocent man who likes to climb trees. 
that I sort of admired and identified with as a child. Zacchaeus is this wealthy trader who has gotten power and wealth at the expense of his family and his neighbors and his country. And the passage of the rich young ruler, just the chapter before, ends with, it is easier than, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And yet, here is the passage where a rich man does. A, a tax collector who is justified. Why did Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house? Jesus gives the answer at the end of this little section, this little story. It's because he came. Not to overthrow Rome. It's like, how are the people so surprised later, right? Like, but to seek out and to save the lost. And his reasoning, this man, too, is a child of Abraham. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. Now, I once, um, I once knew this man when I was a caseworker at Room in the Inn, and he was an addict. He was in one of our programs. I think he was addicted to cocaine, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but he had burned every, as many of these guys did who end up in these programs, like burned every family, community, relationship he had, like, with his addiction. So he had lied and cheated and stolen from everyone he probably cared about um, in order to support his habit. But he was in this program, and he was doing really well. And I want to say he had been sober, like, five or six months, you know, a pretty good period of time. And this guy was different than other people I knew because I actually, like, through a series of sort of, like, church and relational connections, I actually knew his brother. And it wasn't like I knew who his brother was. It was like I saw his brother kind of regularly at regular intervals, and, um, you know, it's kind of this weird sort of thing because I knew ultimately, like, what this guy needed, like, for his sobriety, like, for his life really to be changed around was, like, reconnection with his family to be <sighs> restored somehow to his community. Uh, but I also didn't ha know, I didn't know what had happened in the past. And in this one rare situation, I maybe had a little bit of social, like, pull to be able to speak a word on his behalf, perhaps. And it was such a weird thing because I was like, I don't, I don't know even if I should do it. Like, I don't even know if it's, like, the right thing to do to sort of interfere. But ultimately, I decided, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Like, I'm going to. So I asked the guy's permission about it, and he gave me his permission to tell his brother about him and how he was doing. And I thought I would just see what happened. And so sort of with fear and trembling, I, like, <laughs> approached the brother, and I told him, like, I, I've been working with your brother, which was probably, like, you know, I've been working with your brother. I let him know, like, I let him know how he was doing. Like, he's doing really well. He's been sober this long. You know, like, this is kind of the things we want to see. And I don't remember exactly, like, what his brother said when he responded to me. But I remember 
seeing him sort of visibly like just shut down in front of me and this like composed professional sort of like you know with it guy like mumbled something about his how his brother had had his chances and in the climax of this story we realize that Jesus' mission isn't power and success. He wasn't there to overthrow Rome, but he was there to seek out those who are lost on the fringes of the community. He was there to be the mother searching for the lost coin, the shepherd looking for the lost sheep, a father looking for a lost son. Because ultimately, lostness is really about to whom you already belong. Lostness is an estrangement from a group to which you already belong. Otherwise, you're not lost. To be lost is actually to belong, but to have a lost sense of that belonging or to be given up on by the other as a lost cause. The people of Israel and even the disciples would have called Zacchaeus a lost cause. Maybe Zacchaeus' own brother wouldn't have given him another chance. But what is impossible for humans is possible with God. And for some reason, Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus and he wanted to see him Zacchaeus was doing better that day. And Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, which, by the way, is a pretty humble position to be in, to look up to someone. And then Zacchaeus gets down from the tree, and because he was a wee little man, I imagine him looking up to Jesus, and there's like this spark of mutuality right, that Jesus looks up in a, in a move of hospitality, opening himself up to Zacchaeus, and then Zacchaeus opens himself up to Jesus, is glad to welcome him into his house, and there is this reciprocated hospitality. See, the lost have lost so much more than we realize. The lost have lost probably the only relationships they have ever known or cared about. What does it mean that as the church, we are the body of our Lord Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save the lost? That the church is not here to claim power, to overthrow governments, but to embody our Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. To offer forgiveness as the baseline and the building block of this kingdom. Forgiveness for the people who have joined in on our oppression, on, on our oppression and those who have been our oppressors. So I think the question today, the question that this passage presents to us is, who are the lost? 
Who are the estranged children of Abraham today? Where are they? Who are the lost? Who are the estranged children of Abraham? And where are they? Last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, I ended uh, the sermon with Hannah leading the song for the one. And I challenge you to imagine yourself as being the one, the one for whom God loved and gave his son. And I challenge you to remember yourself as ground zero for God's work, a person in whom is God's holy image. Now today I'm going to end and invite Hannah to sing for us the same song, but this time I want to sing it in a different way. And I want to challenge you to pray and to ask God who is lost. Who is lost to God, or to you, or to us, or to our people? Who do you think, if Jesus was coming through Nashville on his way to Washington, D.C., who would Jesus stay with today? So as Hannah comes to lead, Let us pray as we sing. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one. Because though we may not see how it can be that we be filled with kindness and compassion for the one who feels lost to us, what is impossible for humans is possible with God.